Peter, there, there are moments of uh, great hilarity, but I have a feeling, I have a funny feeling, it's going to turn to moments of great sadness. It's going backwards. This is so, 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 so sad. And so unnecessary. All right, we're live. Breaking 100. Uh, Quarantine can't stop us. Uh, I'm your host, Andy. We got Jack Smythe coming in on Google hello. Hangouts. Hello, hello. And we got uh, producer Eric. Hey, what's going on? All right, guys. Well, uh, obviously, we're not doing much golfing these days. Uh, so what a perfect time to do our inaugural movie review episode with the classic golf movie, Tin Cup. Thoughts? I mean, just, you know, overall thoughts for me, I think that this movie at two hours and 14 minutes is a little long. <laughs> yeah, um, I know what it is to say. Definitely on the rewatch, I, it was like, yo, you know, I don't remember this being so long. Yeah, it's like the last hour, almost exactly the last hour of the movie um, is, like, the movie's like an hour and 15 minutes, and then, like I said, the last hour is when he actually, you know, spoiler alert, gets to the, to the uh, U.S. Open. Um, and I think, I think that part, of, from an hour on, I think the pacing of that part, the golf part, uh, is actually very well done. Yeah. Um, and it moves along very quickly. But it's the setting up the beginning, like the exposition of like some of those scenes, like I feel like wasn't necessary. Like as we kind of go through you know, talking about it, I think we'll kind of identify some scenes that really don't provide a lot of uh, necessary exposition or backstory to Ugh. any of the characters. And Jack Smythe um, coming, just... coming out the gate hot on a golf classic, <laughs> just just uh, just chucking bombs right away at the uh, first I mean, hour and hour and a half of the movie. <laughs> I mean, when we get through, I mean, you'll you know, I'll give my shafts, and you'll you'll see that um, you know how I actually did feel about the movie, but I just felt that like. You know, this movie could have been done in like an hour and a half or an hour. I think I think you could have done this movie in an hour forty five. Yeah, really, it, it does. would have been more appropriate. The last, I mean, the whole thing about this movie for me is like, it was interesting watching it uh, from start to finish. Um, you know, I always uh, have watched it catching it on cable, and so I usually catch it, you know, right at the last qualifier for the U.S. Open. So I'm like, yeah, this movie's a breeze. But watching the whole thing start to finish, the theatrical version, it's like, man, this thing is a slog. This thing is meant to be caught on cable television for the last hour of the movie. That's pretty much the the reason the reason to watch it. Uh, producer Eric, you uh, watched a, I believe, recorded version from the uh, from the television. Uh, what were your thoughts on the uh, the movie overall? Yeah, that's true. I did. Um watch the movie on tv you know i thought it was it was fine i definitely re- forgot a lot of the movie yeah probably the first half i guess <laughs> yeah. i don't i don't know if i've ever seen a lot of it <laughs> yeah i don't know either usually, yeah. usually i just catch it toward the end and you know watch the you know the balls in the water scenes but like 
yeah, there's there's some parts that I just do not recall at all. But it it was a uh, yeah, I agree. I, I mean, most movies to me are too long, but this one is no exception. But you know, it was I made it through it. I only fell asleep a couple times, so it was you know pretty solid there. Yeah, that's definitely one thing that struck me when I was watching it. I mean, the first 20 minutes was like a whole new movie experience. I don't know that I've ever actually seen. I, I know for a fact I don't think I've actually seen the theatrical mo- version of this movie. And the first 20 minutes entirely, I maybe have seen once, but it was it was a blur. It was brand new. I was taking notes, and I, after the first 20 minutes, I had basically a full page of notes because it was like a brand new movie to me. I thought this was going to be a breeze, but I was like, oh, this new information. But... Uh, so let's just get into it. Um, so yeah, heads up. I, uh, Jack gave us the uh, warning for spoilers. This movie came out, uh, 25 years ago. So, uh, yeah, we will be and spoiling the end of it. Uh, 1996. Yes. Also, I thought it was curious that, um, and throughout the review, I'll draw some parallels to happy Gilmore, but happy Gilmore came out at the same year as this movie. And they're very similar in, in many respects. It's kind of strange. That's an interesting thing. So I was going to say this movie came out in 1996. It was uh, written and directed by Ron Shelton. So interesting thing about Ron Shelton uh, was I believe he wrote and directed Bull Durham. Much like Tin Cup and Happy Gilmore, there was Bull Durham and then a, another uh, baseball movie that came out right around the same time, Major League. Uh, so this guy's definitely, uh, maybe a trendsetter, Ron Shelton is a little ahead of the curve. And then someone cam- comes out and makes a less serious and arguably superior movie immediately after him. Uh, so this movie was made in, uh, 1996. It opened number one, uh, Renee Russo, uh, uh, reprises her role as the uh, female lead in a sports movie, uh, uh, so this one, uh, we obviously know it's starring Kevin Costner. We got Cheech Marin and Don Johnson playing big roles. Great actors, by the way. And Don Johnson and Cheech Marin, Cheech Marin uh, were in one of my grandfather's favorite shows. Uh, Nash Bridges. Nash Bridges, yes. I'm glad you knew that. Yeah, Don Johnson was yeah, like a absolutely. detective and Cheech Marin was his caddy. So uh, <laughs> he essentially he essentially was the caddy in that movie too. He was like the uh, the second fiddle to Don Johnson. I had no idea that was Don Johnson in in Tin Cup until I looked it up on the Wikipedia page. Like, oh, yeah, I guess that is. Huh? But do you not know what Don Johnson looks like? I mean, I do now. I just didn't really. I I just know he's the dude from Miami Vice, but I didn't really. Have you only heard about Miami Vice on podcasts or something, but you've never actually seen Don Johnson? That that's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> he's. Uh, I mean, he's obviously the 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 get for that movie because he was the with uh, in the opening credits. Oh yeah, um, he's definitely the get in the non Kevin Costner role. I mean, Kevin Costner, I believe, Oscar winner. Uh, so he's definitely, you know, the driving force, but Don Johnson is definitely, you know, second billing there. I mean, this, this movie opens up, um, with a very kind of, I mean, it, from right away, you can tell this movie was made from the nineties. There's, uh, you know, the, the opening sequence, there's, you know, the one armadillo walking across the street, there's all the old dusty signs to kind of tell you that like, we're in this desolate kind of southern you know america type play it's obviously set in texas but 
you know, uh, there's the, the, the driving range sign. That's like, Whoa, partner, <laughs> no more last chance to hit driving range balls for 500 <laughs> yeah. miles. Yeah. It's got that, that playful, uh, opening montage, you know, where like, usually like you see like a car drive by, I mean, it had like, had gave me very, uh, very nineties, like, uh, Beverly Hills cop style, like uh, oh, yeah. intro vibes. Definitely. Um, and it's like, well, it's setting up West Texas. And, you know, the, the thing I uh, I wrote down in my notes is like, how does one live here? So, like, obviously, he's a he owns this driving range. He's a driving range pro. But like, what is the I don't even understand what the industry is in West Texas. What are they just like literal dirt farmers? I mean, they just like how is anyone making money other than being a, a psychologist as we'll see with Dr. Molly Griswold later, but um, where is the yeah, money how, coming from in this part of the country? <laughs> they make it seem like literally no one, there's like, they say some of there's some, there's nothing for you know hundreds of miles. So like, well, how is she a psychologist in the middle of nowhere where there's no one, no one for miles. Also, is this a, is that a real profession like thing? Like, uh, you know, driving range, Golf pro, pro. <laughs> absolutely, that's a real thing. Um, well, I understand, but like in the middle of Texas, where no one is, and just living out of a, not perhaps so. But I mean, that sets maybe, your golf, your driving range apart from other driving ranges because if your driving range has a pro, you know what I mean. Then yeah. who's going to go to the other one? But obviously, there's not a driving range for 500 miles, you know, anywhere near you know this place as as the sign would have you believe. Yeah, maybe if you're going west. You what if you're going east? Maybe there's a driving road just east of there. But I don't know. Yeah, they didn't show the other side of that sign. <laughs> well, <laughs> So we're okay. not really sure. And also, I mean, business seems bad at the driving range because I only ever saw Kevin Costner or Dr. Molly Griswold hitting golf balls. So, like, is anyone actually paying to hit a bucket of balls at the driving range? Well, I mean, this is maybe, like, a little... Well, we're kind of getting ahead of ourselves, but... It's it's said later that he makes seven dollars an hour as the pro. The driving range kid makes three dollars an hour as the pro. And then if you look at the sign on the on the thing, it says a large bucket of balls is four dollars. Four dollars? <laughs> My God. Like I don't know the economics of nineteen ninety six, but like that seems pretty pricey, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, but what's a large bu- bucket of balls in West Texas? Everything's bigger in Texas, right? They did look like there was a lot of balls in there in those buckets. Well, and then so they they set up that he's like we see the driving range, right? And um you know, he's like it's just his buddies betting on like bugs getting shocked by a bug zapper. There's like five or six guys there just hanging out. So it's unclear what they do. Like, all right, I buy in that there's some West Texas town where like you have a driving range and there's two employees there and then there's a town where there's a psychologist and presumably a grocery store or whatever. But what are these other guys doing? I mean, one, it seems like only one is of retirement age. Everyone else just is just hanging out. I mean, they could be, they could be cowboys or ranch hands or oil workers. But they're not, they're bums. They're just bums at the driving range with tin cup. They could be retired army guys, like, you know, military veterans. Like, you know, there's uh like I said, I'm not I'm not familiar with the industry down there, but uh, they definitely have money to drink beers. Um, maybe they're just they're just such 
such quality that guys that they're living off their SAG uh, money. <laughs> yeah, it is a loaded list of that guys in uh, in the crew. Actually, I say loaded list, but really uh, the two that jump out, um, the guy who plays Dewey, Rex Lynn, the guy, you may also know him as the guy in the uh, safari hat, the Jumanji safari hat for half the movie. He's definitely a that guy. And then, of course, we have... Um, uh, uh, Jack, what's the guy's name? Richard Lineback. Kurt. Yeah, Richard Lineback. He's like the the poor man's Kevin Costner. Or it's not Kevin Costner. The poor man's Kevin Bacon. Excuse me. Uh, who's in such classics as Twister, uh, The Grapes of Wrath, and uh, he's the guy in Speed that says, "There's a gap in the road." <laughs> I think uh, and then he says fifty feet. That's yeah. one of my favorite guys. I think the 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 old black guy Clint. He's kind of a that guy too. I feel like yeah, Lou Myers I, is his name. I've seen him around. I feel like I've seen that that like he plays like that angry mug, like black dude. Yeah, uh, you know, and I I couldn't picture him. Uh, I didn't do a lot of homework, but uh, I feel fine. like I'd seen him before. Yeah, so they're at they're just betting on bugs getting zapped. Nothing's going on, and then uh, this is where we meet Renee Russo's character, uh, Doctor Molly Griswold. Uh, no relation to Clark and company, uh, I assume. Uh, so she is uh, moved to Salome, this fictional Texas town, uh, for God knows why, to start up her own psychology practice. And uh, she's coming in for a little, so f- for some golf golf lessons. So uh, yeah, she this... comes in hard and fast and uh, gives a little. Uh, oh, she solves the riddle right off the top. Yeah, she yeah. solves the riddle. Here's a little psychology lesson for you boys. You're dumb. Women can be doctors too. Hmm. Think about that. Did, I did, thought it was pretty funny. I'll oh, go ahead. Did Did any of you like get the riddle before she did? Because I didn't. I did definitely did not. Oh. I guess mm. it says like a lot about successful. you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> says a lot about producer yeah. Eric. You guys got it. You guys got it. No problem. I I did get it. Um. But um, I thought it was pretty great because she comes in and she's like, "Yeah, this is uh, to prove that like you guys are you know masculine and don't think women can do anything." And then she says. I'm here for the golf lesson. And he's like, yeah, I have a lesson with a Dr. Griswold. And she's like, you see what I'm talking about here? So I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. She opens up with like, yeah, you know, women can be doctors too. And like, you better take me seriously. And then Roy proceeds to sexually harass her for the next hour and a half of the movie. (laughs) Yeah. He's like up in her, up in her, like her personal space a lot. I, uh, I, I was noticing that. Well, so the first lesson, too, this is one of the... So they go out. It's a little... Uh, it cuts... It, somehow it's nighttime. Uh, three hours pass in between her arriving and them actually starting the lesson. So uh, right away, uh, Roy's first uh, first thing that he does with her is he throws a ball down into... It is really like long grass. It's like the rough. And makes her basically hit a driver off the deck out of the rough. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, I noticed yeah. that too. <laughs> He's like, I was hey, like hit this what ball. is he doing? Hit this ball, bitch. <laughs> yeah, it's like of, course, like, of course you're not going to hit that well. Then you're going to be like, see, you need golf lessons from me. I know. It's like, don't forget. Ass. You're, you're passing uh, one of the funniest parts of the movie is that this is definitely a golfer that is trying to break 100 based on the amount of golf gadgets that she has. Oh, good point. She's got the, she's got the dangly thing on her, on her hat. And she's got like the, the harness that like attach, you attach it to your, your chest so that you have like the, the right kind of motion. She's got these like 
knee pads to like hold her knees in place. Like, oh yeah, uh, actually, we should get Dr. Molly Griswold for T Tech for our next T Tech I mean, segment. That was. Uh, I was gonna ask producer Eric if he was familiar with any of the uh, the gadgets, if he had seen any of those gadgets uh, previously. I think I've I think I've seen some on on the Golf Channel, but I think those are even like more ridiculous than than the most ridiculous ones you see on the golf channel yeah she looked like she bought some of those gadgets from like one of those like trinket stands on the beach in the dominican republic they seem very poorly made yeah she says but i spent two hundred dollars on this and he says that's two hundred dollars of shit (laughs) yeah i mean so well i mean we would have to we'll have to test some of these devices out ourselves to see if they really work for our next t-tech segment but yeah he 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 makes her hit a driver off the deck out of the rough, which is insanity. Of course, she, you know, even with her poor form, you're never going to hit it. So he, of course, plops a ball down and uh, smokes a couple wedges out there to be like, see, that's how it's done. It's like, yeah, no shit, dude. She could probably hit a couple of those out there. I, well, I feel like one of my favorite parts is, is like, okay, Roy, so what, what, what's the, I need to hear, you know, verbally what it is. And he, you know, well, how does how to swing a golf club? So he's like, oh, what's the golf swing by by Roy McIlroy, McIlroy? And he starts going into this thing, and then inside they're like, oh, he's doing the poetry thing again. Yeah, they know. He's like, ah, oh, classic uh, Roy with his old poetry moves. Yeah, they're like making her do the waggle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're all waggle. by the way a bunch of pervs just like looking out through the blinds, like he's gonna like finger blast her right there on the freaking range. I don't get what that's all about. Also, she was wearing uh, – I thought she was wearing, like, a tennis outfit to, like, play <laughs> golf, man. Like, I know it's hot in Texas, but, man, dude, come on. Uh, yeah. Proper attire is very important for uh, golf, you know? Well, he does He does uh, establish that, you know, this game is really frustrating, but you hit a nice one out there, and it keeps you coming back, which I have to say is very true. She smokes one out there, and she gets the rush – uh, whatever the t- the the tuning fork in the loins, as he says. Yeah, she feels I, the tuning fork in her loins. I man. guess that makes and sense. Uh, but... <laughs> I think it. Ha- anyone listening to this podcast can attest to. It almost it always seems to happen. Maybe on your last like two the or three la- holes, yes, you, yes. you get that you you get that amazing tee shot, and you're just like, where has that been? You know, the whole day, and it just you know brings you back out for another eighteen. One hundred percent. So I think that's one of the truest things said about this show. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely relate to that. I've definitely had some awful rounds, and then like miraculously birdie a hole, no business birdieing, or even parring a hole on eighteen. It's like, God damn it, I have to come back out here next weekend. I was just about ready to quit golf and be happy forever, but I just had this euphoric feeling, and now I have to try and re- replicate it. So we end on the driver range. I don't know if anything else happened there. So. Th- we meet, uh, in my opinion, the hero of this movie in the next scene, uh, Don Johnson playing uh, pro golfer David Sims. The antagonist, as some would yeah, call yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. Yes, the, uh, yin, or the yang to Roy McAvoy's yin. So Roy, obviously, we know is a beer guzzling, uh, slacker, you know, West Texas, salt of the earth, driving range pro golfer. And uh, David Sims is definitely your... Um, you know, new Mercedes, uh, slick, well-dressed, quaffed uh, hair, uh, professional golfer. They used to be teammates at the University of uh, Houston, 
where uh, Tin Cup apparently carried him. Uh, but, uh, you know, now Sims is coming back to ask Roy to uh, caddy for him at some charity golf tournament in the middle of nowhere in West Texas at Cottonwood Club. You guys' so, thoughts when you see David Sims? Side note about University of Houston golf team. Oh, yeah. That's actually also where Fred Couples and Jim Nance went to school and played both played on the golf team together oh that's a good so, call and they were in this movie both of them are in this movie oh that's true Fred yeah. Couples there too? i think we see him briefly yes yeah he's he's they're like walking he yeah he's one of the golfers that are like you heard of this mcavoy guy like yeah when, <laughs> you know just like he has a very short uh scene but yeah he's in it well here's my thoughts um, here's my thing about david's or i don't know jack did you have some thoughts on sims i'll, I'll let you go if you i i just wrote uh, in my notes for about this scene don johnson seems uh i wrote don johnson period seems like cup was better than him but but their relationship kind of fell apart like um it you know, it's it's uh, like a lot of things you said, like, uh, you know, you'll see kind of throughout the movie that David Sims is, you know, he definitely plays the percentages. You know, he's going to he's not going to you know, he's going to lay up when he needs to lay up and he's not going to take, you know, r unnecessary risk and things like that. And, um, you know, uh, Cup is more of a, a character that, you know, will always kind of push the limit and doesn't you know, he likes to be that big machismo guy and. You know, I'll just like push it and whatnot. And, you know, when when Sims shows up, he doesn't say he wants him to caddy. He just says like, oh, I got this tournament and, you know, you you have the course record at this place. And I know that nobody knows this course better than you. And he kind of sets it up like, uh, you know, like I want you to play with me. And that's 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 what Cup goes for. He gets all excited and he's like, yeah, yeah. man, like you and me together, like, we'll, we'll crush it. Like, there's no way we're going to lose if we play together. You know, he kind of sets it out. Like it's a charity, almost like a pro-am I think is what his thoughts were. And the whole time Cheech is just, you know, talking shit and being like, no way, man, get out of here. You, we're not going to play with you. No way. And, uh, um, I thought that was interesting. Um, you know, cause then he's like, nah, man, I don't want you to play with me. You suck. Like, I want to, you know, I want to, I want you to caddy and tell me what I need to do. Because uh, I he ends up playing with what the walrus, right? Well, yeah. Well, I he does. Uh, before we get there, I have some specific thoughts on uh, David Sims. So, um, already we meet him, and so apparently Roy was a better golfer, right? When they were at the University of Houston, he carried him. But sure. um, but now Sims is the pro. So immediately, right there. So obviously, David Sims, of course. Uh, someone like a Dr. Molly Griswold or anyone really would be more uh, attracted to David Sims because this is a guy who obviously didn't hit his peak in college. He's out here grinding away. He's not the best golfer. He clearly is working at it. We come later, 10 years later, the man is a tour pro. Meanwhile, old Roy McAvoy is just a driving range bum. So immediately, you know, you're 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 meant to not like Sims, but let's let's look at this from a, a real golf perspective. This is if you want to uh, talk about breaking 100, I think David Sims is the is the guy that we're going to be looking at throughout this entire movie as the one to uh, admire, not this uh, not this braggadocio uh, driving range pro from West Texas. 
Yeah, but you don't want to be like David Sims, a guy like hates old people, kids, and dogs. Man. Which, by the way, when we get to later, they uh, they keep talking about that, and they do it in one scene. He literally meets oh, it's a, fantastic. He meets fantastic. A, he meets two old people, a kid, and a dog at a golf course. In and one he acts scene. like an asshole to all of them at the same time. It's great. Uh, yeah, but uh, so that, I just wanted to say that that stuck out to me about Sims was like obviously this guy uh, has a has like a. a more put together life. I, you know, obviously you're not supposed to sure. look for him. I understand, but if you're trying to break 100, you're gonna be paying attention to David Sims this whole movie. All right, so they go to Cottonwood. Uh, blast from the past. Craig Stadler is paired up with uh, with old uh, David Sims. Uh, we haven't seen. I, when was the last time you guys saw the Walrus out there on the on the links? Even on the Champions Tour, I haven't seen him forever. Producer Eric, have you seen him? I have not. That was a uh, that was a blast from the past for sure. I had to look him and up, make sure he wasn't dead. Looking, he was looking think, dead back in the day too. I was gonna say, I think the last time I saw him was in Tin Cup. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good point, and his acting's also, not very good. He's I, but not he's a good got actor. I'm he's sorry. not, but they give him the most lines of any golfer in the movie. I don't know if that was That's like true. if he's buddies with Kevin Costner, which is a very uh, likely uh, thing, but. Um, he definitely is like he has the most lines of any golfer in the movie. We also see a young Phil uh, in a couple shots who is looking like a young Kennedy. Um, he really I almost didn't recognize him. He looks good. You don't really yeah, titless Phil out on the course. He probably doesn't have those calves yet either. No, actually. Oh, I have another note here. Producer Eric, this is for you. You know, me and you were uh, caddies back in the day. Did we ever call it a loop? Do we ever say, "Ooh, I'm going out for a loop"? Yeah, hundred percent. That's that's the uh, that's caddy lingo. Maybe I don't know, maybe you forgot it. You were a better caddy than I was, so <laughs> that would that would explain it. Like you use it as a verb now. I'm like who 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 are you looping for today? Oh, Mister Mister yeah. Overton. Oh, that old hag. Good luck. Yeah. yeah. You had in your bag. Shit, I had to, partner. I mean, your damn caddy came by and told me he'd get on the green from here. I could. The the real falling out with uh, Tin Cup and uh, David Sims uh, occurs when uh, he he makes Stadler go for it. He like whispers in his ear, like, "You suck. You can't get this, fatty." <laughs> you can't get on the green. Here's the thing. Here's also this is kills me about Tin Cup. Is like he's such an asshole because he's like goading these people into going for it. Both of their, all the tee shots are way off to the right of the fairway. They're in the rough and they're like a three wood away from the green. And he's goading everyone in to hitting a three wood out of the rough uh, to carry some water onto the green. It's like, you asshole, this is the dumbest fucking shot you could absolutely try and take at any given time. Yeah, also, like, Stanley's like, uh, I, I had no choice. I had to go, I had to go for it. He was Tin Cup was was giving me you know giving me her time like what you didn't have to go you could still just not go for it yeah they're yeah, up like, two it's peer pressure man you they're, don't have to fall for peer pressure yeah they're up two with like three holes to go and so even if he hits it in the water it's not that big of a deal but it's just like it's again one of these things where hey David Sims is trying to win this thing he doesn't have time for goofing around he's trying to win his charity tournament too which does kind of establish him as the asshole of the uh, the movie well I mean. You know, so uh, 
you know, he tries to hand him the three wood and Sims is like, nah, bro, like I'm going to lay up because <laughs> like, you know, and this is a theme that you'll, you'll hear a lot in this movie. Like it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it was said that in his, in when Roy was leaving college, he, you know, he blew it and just like kept hitting balls and when he couldn't have taken a drop, you know, and it's like, uh, the, the, it, it's, it's it's a theme throughout the film that sometimes you don't want to take a risk and like par is okay to get through and I think you know maybe as I'll I'll save my thoughts uh, on that really towards as we get to mm-hmm, the end but mm-hmm. um so Sims does lay up and then they're getting ready to move out and Sadler and McCord come over and they're like nah bro like we want we want <laughs> your caddy to hit it. Because he's, you know, we got money on it. You know, of course, like Phil could never, could never, uh, you know, pass up a, a, a bet. So they're all getting ready to <laughs> bet. And Sims turns to Roy and he's like, if you take this shot, like you're fired. And he's like, dude, you can't fire me in front of all these people. And even the gallery's like, come on, David, let him hit the ball, man. Yeah, no shit. David Sims is a little bit of a tight ass, you know, have yeah. a little fucking fun. So, you know, of course, like Cup, like just like, crushes it out of the rough like a beautiful shot yeah uh, and ev- everyone's all happy and he's collecting his money and then uh you know sims is just like you know points to some dude in the gallery and he's like yo man get over here and some guy's like oh i'm so excited yeah he's definitely he, yeah, like he, a he, freaking pillsbury doughboy comes under the rope to carry <laughs> his bag for the rest of the round yeah and uh he fires him and then there's one of the funniest uh points in the movie where they do like a fake sports center where he like uh he, t- he tries to he tries oh, that's to a take real his show. bag back that's a real show the, <laughs> the george mitchell show. the george michael sports machine was a real show back in the day <laughs> So he takes his bag yeah. and just starts like dumping clubs out, yeah. and those like security guards run up from nowhere. Yeah. I don't know they had security guards at this like celebrity tournament with like ten people in the gallery. Dude, it was so funny in the middle of nowhere, just, like, Texas. Oh man, just dumping his clubs out everywhere, and uh, uh, yeah, that was I, a good scene. That was pretty funny, but that definitely sets up the, you know, uh, Sims the is a hard is a hardliner and. Yeah. Uh, you know, Cup is more willing to, you know, grip it and rip it, let the big dog eat, eat supposedly. Mm-hmm. So, All right. So after the tournament, after the debacle at Cottonwood, um, we see, uh, I think we just see like a Tin Cup uh, getting talked to by Romeo back at the range. And they drop this little tidbit, which because I've not, I don't think I've really swatched the first, you know, 25 minutes of the movie usually. I forgot about this. Tin Cup got a... 13 on the last hole of Q school when he needed a 12 to qualify yeah. for the PGA tour. What a dumbass! Like, honestly, right. that, talk about foreshadowing. Well, right. And that's kind of what I was talking about when we were in the last scene. Like he kept, he kept asking for another ball when he could have just taken a drop, you know? So instead of, you know, so, and yeah, like instead of just going up, taking a drop and taking the bogey and getting out of there, he wanted to flex his nuts and uh, show everybody <laughs> that he had brass balls and that he could, you know, he could do it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just remember that for later. Producer Eric, were you asking how is it even possible? Like to get a, a 12, like to get a 13, when you need a 12, like that picture, it's like never happened. Yeah. Well, like, what you need is a lesson. Like, which sounds could, like he had the course record. 
You just use your putter, like, and kill. I know. It's like, yeah, it's like, obviously this guy has like some serious issues with like his dad or something like where he can't have success. Like, I I, I have no idea, but like something is, you know, see, he does need a psychologist, which I guess is why they, uh, you know, have that part of the plot. Because like the guy is nuts. Like you need a 12 to make the PGA Tour. Like I could do that any day. Anyone listening to the show could get a 12 to make the PGA Tour and they wouldn't. Uh, blow it all so they could like clear a water hazard with their three wood i don't know all right i just wrote that down so the next scene all right this is another scene i know producer eric's rolling his eyes right now we're going a scene by scene breakdown but the next scene they go to the uh, titty bar which by the way uh they show tits had no idea mind-blowing that they show tits in this movie did you guys know that there were tits in this movie i did not yeah i don't think i had ever seen the theatrical release of this film yeah, producer Eric, you didn't see the tits. Also, they're in the middle of nowhere in West Texas, and it's like this strip club is full of just dimes and chicks with like big tits. It's like no, uh, no cesarean scars, no, you know, uh, the usual uh, stereotypical uh, trademarks of uh, bad strip clubs. It's definitely like top-notch strippers at this bar, except for Roy's ex. Uh, ex-girlfriend uh, stripper who's like uh, 50. She looked like she could have been, she was a little old for Roy, but I mean, you know, if you're, if you're going to, like you said earlier, if, uh, before we were taping, like if you're going to date somebody at the strip club, you probably want to date the boss, um, yeah. which is what we find out later is that she's the boss of the place. And, you know, she's telling all the girls to wear their big hair and their big clothes and their big, big whatever's out there. So, um, but again, I think it's similar to what we were talking about with the golf pro. Like if you want to set yourself apart, like if you want to have the best strip club around then like, you need to have those dime pieces in there. Yeah. So that people are going to come from Odessa and, and Midland, Midland, and <laughs> wherever these other places are that they name drop. Yeah. Well, all right. So the strip club, we could get through it. Apparently Roy owes her 12 grand from betting on Greyhounds, whatever. They just throw this in here. So the only way he can pay her back is he deeds his drive driving range that he owns to her and he has to come up with an extra two grand so he has to pawn his clubs which obviously it's i guess is the only other thing he owns yeah it's like but see, I, was, pawnable. I was thinking about that scene like no way his golf clubs are worth two grand no no, no it's a big gap i assume maybe he had like a couple guns that were in the golf bag or something he pawned to yeah i have no true. idea but also, like, it seemed like I thought this was going to be like a major like plot point in the movie or push it along in the movie, almost like in Happy Gilmore, where, you know, he's, he's playing for his, his grandma's house. Right. Mm-hmm. But like I, I thought, like, oh, he's going to be playing for this 12 grand or the rest of the movie. Then they just never mentioned it. Again. No, it has. It, it really it like it just introduces us to uh, Romeo Cheech Marin, the caddy's love interest. That's pretty much the point of this scene. So when she shows up later in the movie, you're like. Oh yeah, I remember her. <laughs> yeah, you, if you told her something nice, you know, like he's just sixty as hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he has the great scene where he's playing round of golf with uh, gardening. Yeah, that's that pretty was- much what it. So it sets up. Well, first of all, I want to cycle back uh, really quick. We, uh, I, Eric, did you catch this? When in your version, he goes in and the bouncer tells him that Doreen's looking for him. Did was that in your version? I don't know. If I don't remember it now. Yeah. So that's Mick. So the bouncer is another that guy, Mickey Jones. So I just want to chuck him into the that guy 
uh, list. He's actually he has he does the double bogey blues, which we hear later in the movie, and is on the uh, Tin Cup soundtrack. He was the uh, he was the drummer on Bob Dylan's World Tour in '67. Oh, wow. Yeah, when they toured with the band, and Levon Helm wouldn't go because he didn't want to get booed, so they got Mickey Jones. That's this guy. I've been kind of obsessed wow. with Mickey Jones. I saw he had a documentary where he had home movies on this world tour, and it was awful. But like I, when I saw him, I re- instantly recognized him as he was on like one of Tim Tim the Toolman Taylor's friends on Home Improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so I, he, he's a big that guy for me. I th- I thought that he was the he was the. The little known third member of ZZ Top, but I guess I was wrong about no. that. No, and he's also like uh, he's the drummer from Kenny Rogers, R.I.P. Kenny Rogers in the first edition, which uh, you know I he, presumably he drummed on. Just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. But oh, he's that's a great song. he's a that guy. He pops up one more time in this movie that will get that makes just no sense. They just don't explain. To play some guitar. Yeah, to play some guitar <laughs> in the RV. Like uh, whatever. All right. So I just. One of, his name is Turk in the movie. He gets a credit. So, um, all right. So whatever. Yeah, I think Roy- that's one of the scenes that I think we could have eliminated. They could have like you could have just done like a couple lines of exposition that said, "Hey, like you owe Doreen twelve grand. You're gonna have to like start hustling to get it." And we could have done that whole scene in like five seconds. Yeah. And then it could have taken us right into playing Boone. Uh, yeah. Know, f- well, so yeah, that's that's the whole. Th- it really just sets up playing Boone, uh, his racist buddy from West Texas. Who, uh, so he he it whole sets up. So he's got to beat him with a bunch of garden tools that him and Romeo cobble together. Uh, which is obviously you know it's it's humorous. It's ridiculous that he's like teeing off with a baseball bat. Uh, uh Boone though, uh, not very PC gentleman. I don't know if they would have uh, put him in a movie made outside the '90s. He threatens to call the INS on Romeo. So, <laughs> so anyway, kudos to Romeo. Takes it in stride. Gives it right back to him. But <laughs> yeah, he was. Uh, he said a couple of things that I won't say on the podcast. But I thought it was. Uh, you can if you're quoting yeah. him, you can say it. It's not. Well, Jack's he said uh, saying it. When he when he tees off, he's like, "I'm gonna play this pink ball," and then Boone's like, "Dude, your pink fag ball is not gonna you know, help you today." And I was like, Ooh, "That is kind of, I mean, Boone. that is kind of like dudes on the golf course humor but from the days of old. 90s. Like if I'm golfing with like uh, some older gentlemen, you you will definitely catch some of that on the uh, on the course. You know, oh. sir, a, a gentleman of a certain ilk who golf. Yeah, uh, yeah." I want to say about uh, Roy's playing with the gardening, well, gardening tools and a bat, not a garden tool, but like, I feel like if he's playing with with those, like you still have to follow the rules of golf, (laughs) being up, like like hitting a stationary golf ball, like on a tee or the ground, not tossing it up. Yeah. Like it's your, you know, you're hitting infield batting practice. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I thought it was a little disrespectful when he threw the, the shovel like right into the fairway like come on man like what yeah kind of oh yeah are you stuck to it down here? yeah man There's yeah that's unnecessary working hard, working hard to maintain this course yeah he he pops the ball up and he or like he tosses it up and like jacks went out into the fairway but like how far does he hit that really like if you smoke a home run you hit it about like you can hit it about 360 so that's about 120 yards right like 360 yeah. feet home. so like 
you know, that's like a that's probably his like pitching wedge that he just hit out there. Like how bad Boone is Boone? Sucks yeah, at golf, obviously. Boone? I mean, Boone has already lost his Winnebago. <laughs> yeah. Which is like a really small Winnebago. It's like the size of like a Ryder box truck. <laughs> Come on, man. It's one of the smallest Winnebagos I've ever seen, dude. It's like a yeah. minivan, dude, conversion van size. <laughs> you think Boone would just stop? With yeah, he was trying to get that Cadillac, I guess. Yeah, for pride, by the way, he was like, "I don't want your piece of shit car." And uh, McAvoy's like, "Yeah, but don't you want to, you know, don't you want to show people that you beat Tin Cup?" Like, don't you? The response is no, dude. I don't <laughs> want your stupid Cadillac. I thought man. we were playing golf, you dickwad. Why did you bring all these fucking gardening tools to the course? <laughs> ah, Tin Cup's such a jackass. Okay. Uh, but anyways, he beats Boone, who is obviously a terrible golfer and an even bigger idiot. So um, he, he wins Boone's clubs, right? Oh, what? Sorry, producer. I, I, just want, I just want to point out like that. I was reading reading up on some of this stuff. Uh, that bunker shot that McAvoy hits out of the um, greenside bunker with a garden hoe. He did that. Costa did that in one take. So, so the story goes. Anyway, so, I, wow. I was actually going to just not even bring that up because I thought it was just ridiculous movie magic. But that's kind of pretty sick that he actually took a garden hoe out of a greenside bunker and put it close. Kudos kudos to McAvoy. All right. So uh, uh, I think we blah, blah, blah. Roy calls. I'm looking at my notes. Uh, there's a dial tone joke in there. Uh, that's good 90s humor. You're not going to be getting that in the uh, in 2020. Oh, yeah. This day <laughs> she and hangs age. up yeah, on yeah, him. Yeah, it's like, beep, and He's beep, like, oh, yeah. well, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and be talked to like that. So, uh, you know, you you can call me back later. It's like, eh, 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 <laughs> yeah. eh. Yeah. sees right through yeah, that, man. Romeo it. sees right through that. Those BS. dial tones were loud. All right, so I think the next scene is, uh, does Roy go to town to do a little uh, – to do a little therapy. He decides he's falling in love with Molly. No, it was uh, after that, you know, uh, Molly comes back out to the course and he's like touching her on her butt and on her oh, yeah, shoulder and whatnot. Shit. Yeah. And then uh, that, well, that's when he, that's when we, that's when we kind of established oh, some of the, yeah. the yeah, relationship tension because that's when, you know, he finds out that David is the girlfriend, is the boyfriend of Molly. And so I think that really like makes, that like agitates tin cup because he's like mm-hmm. dude i like this girl and like david's such a piece of shit like how can he how can she be attracted to him like she should be attracted to me so it sets up that kind of that uh the tension of the movie i suppose yeah the I, relationship tension you know kevin costner is like a tin cups a folksy like uh salt of the earth guy as i've said before but like he mean he's he's a pretty big slob. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, it, uh, you know, Molly starts going for him because I guess this is you know whatever she's got her own issues. But like, he definitely he's like wearing you know like a wife beater or whatever you call them a frame shirts that just are like stained from like days old sweat. But one thing about I will give Tin Cup one thing: this whole movie, this entire movie, he is in khakis. I don't think he's not in khakis at any point this entire movie. Did you guys? Uh, he is wearing shorts at one point uh, okay. in the film. Yeah, maybe when he's just like chilling his camper. But as, as soon as he goes to any anything with golf or anywhere, he has full-length khaki pants, which he strikes me. Yep. Like, if this is real, if this is a real story, Tin Cup is 100% a shorts guy. He is showing up to the U.S. Open in shorts, and they're like, sir, you have to wear pants to this tournament. I feel like like there's a couple of scenes where he's wearing white 
like linen pants or khaki pants or something. I'm just thinking like, dude, that that place is so dusty. Like, why would you <laughs> yeah. ever be wearing like white linen pants? Like, what are you doing, Tin, man? Tin Cup is a jorts guy, at least. Or definitely a cargo shorts guy. But All right. So that was actually one of my earliest notes. Does Tin Cup wear khakis this entire movie? And the answer is yes. So, uh... All right, so all right, so they established that, right? Yeah, Don Johnson or David Sims is, uh, uh, you know, Doctor Molly's uh, boo, and Tin Cup is jealous. So Tin Cup he has to just go tell her that he's like into her. So he does it by he goes to the therapy session in Salome, in downtown Salome. Uh, where, yeah, where is that? That's a, that's it's a cool. fictional town. I actually looked this up. Somewhere so, between Odessa and Midland. Well, Odessa and Midland, approximately 120 miles away from those places. Yeah, so they're close. They're a little bit like a Twin Cities of West Texas kind of thing. This oh. so supposedly it's Rankin, Texas, is the city that this is modeled after. Oh wow! So they did the fictional town. I think they called it Salome, so they could just do the salami joke when the guy introduces them later in the movie. I think that's the only reason why they they gave it that name. But so uh, she go. Roy goes in. My fr- I have here my in my notes. Does Roy have insurance? How does Definitely. Roy? What is he paying out of pocket to go well, to Doctor Molly? Well, that's what I think. That's what they ended up negotiating. Like he's like, I can't afford this. I don't know what he did for the first. Maybe maybe the first is a free co- consultation. Uh, good point. Yeah. Like maybe they, maybe he got a coupon. That's a good that's point. A she slid him. Yeah, she gave him his card. Yeah. Or she gave him her her card, but yeah. So they go. Well, and it was only less than a half hour session because that's all the time she had for him at that moment. Yeah, so, it was like an eight um, minute session. And then they do, like you said, they do agree later. Like Eric said, they do agree later to do like an exchange of services. But um, yeah, that's the scene where you know he basically is like what if I like this girl? Like, what should I do? And she's like, Oh, well you should like tell her that you care about her and like, see what happens. And then he does. And she's like, well, no, not me. You can't do that to me. And then I thought it was classic where they do. um, This is like a classic uh, therapy trope where like the, the therapist has to call their like mentor to be like, Oh, I have a problem. What do I do? Yeah. It's like, I thought that was kind of a cute scene. Yeah. It's like where they were like, where like yeah you she's got their own therapist yeah she's drawing the circles yeah and she's like she's like no i don't like him but i mean he's kind of cute you know and uh <laughs> and so i thought that was kind of a that was like your first inkling that like you know maybe maybe the movie posters are uh correct and they do hook up Who yeah knows, you know rene russo does do a good job of like being uh in these like kind of in like this kind of like uh typecast role that she does you know what she did in Major League, and then now in this one, I, she's she does a, a pretty good job. She's a good fit for. She's this a kind good of actress. Movie. Yeah, I thought she was good. Oh yeah, no, she's definitely strong in this one. So she's believable. So yeah, she's into him. So uh, here's the thing too. This is what she does that is ridiculous. She goes to his camper at night, right, to be like the exchange of services, right? Like I can't date you, but I'll be your therapist, and then you give me golf lessons, right? Am I wrong about this? Is that what the exchange was at the camper? Yeah, that's I don't know. I can't remember like how they figured it out, but like uh you know, he's talking to Cheech and they're like, Well, you know, you just gotta go win the open because like when I win the open, she's gonna like me or something. Yeah, well so you know she, what I mean, because like that Yeah. And then that and then after they decide like that they're gonna do that, then she like shows up and is like like you said, Andy, she shows up and says, Hey, I'm gonna 
I can't date you, but like you need help with your golf game. And like, I need help with my, you know, your mental game. I need help with my golf game. Yeah. So we'll just do like exchange of services. Yeah. Like you said. She shows up when dude, when, the, when she shows up at his camper at night, like unannounced, that is like a clear cut signal that like, I am, I want to do you. I am. I'm shocked. <laughs> I'm shocked. Tin cup didn't, uh, you know, sink, sink a birdie putt right there. If you catch my drift, like seriously, like, if a chick's just showing up to your camper at the middle of the night, even though she has like a boyfriend or whatever, like that is like a clear cut signal that she is like down. She is DTF and it is just well, a matter of time. And if David Sims caught wind of this, uh, let me tell you, he would not be happy. I would not be see, happy if I, I was David Sims. I'm glad that you mentioned that because I watched this with uh, Mrs. Smythe and um, she said the same thing. She was like, he already caught him like putting his hands on her shoulder and yeah. like touching her butt. And like he's totally cool with like her hanging out with him, and like yeah. we'll see in a you know in the next scene like going to golf tournaments with him, and like like just hanging out and drinking beer with like her his friends. Like he's like why is it not to be possessive, but like oh I yeah, mean, that's a like, problem. Are you kidding? Reflip those roles. Like if you're doing that with uh some female golfer that you're just like hanging out with all the time, like is Mrs. Smythe gonna be cool with that? I mean, no, because obviously you're gonna be like, dude, like you know, uh, he's into you, like he's touching yeah. your butt, like. And it's and it's one thing if they they met in a professional setting and like it was, but like you've seen Tim Cup laying hands upon your lady, like oh. Well, and if she's gonna be full disclosure with David, isn't she gonna say like, well, he did come to my office and express like you know, his sincere he has personal affection. feelings for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's I don't know. I just. Yeah, David Sims, man. He um, he's a little bit of maybe a cuck. it's just some of his hubris. He's kind of a cuck. You know? Roy McAvoy is he's kind of an asshole. He, Roy McAvoy cucks David Sims in this movie. <laughs> well, he does <laughs> later in the film, but I mean, I mean, I mean alert, you're, you know? if you, he's uh, if he is essentially cucked uh, at when uh, when Molly shows up to the camper, and also from Molly's perspective, she obviously has to not tell David about it because if you just tell David, you're like. I'm just going to sh- I just went over to his camper at, at night. He's like, you might as well have just fucked him, right? Like, what are you waiting I'll, for? I just want to go back to what, what you said a minute ago, Andy, about, uh, you know, using, sinking a birdie putt as a metaphor for, you know, boner there. But, like, that just brings up the point. Like, the whole entire movie, they use golf metaphors throughout the whole entire thing. Usually it's a yeah. nice boy with Molly, like, oh, you know, they're talking about something completely unrelated to golf, and he's talking about you know going for the green or something. Yeah, some other random. Yeah, like, okay, we get it. It's a golf movie. Yeah, like, we, yeah, that is. Can true. I have a mulligan? Yeah. Oh yeah, when he's I like begging her. Yeah, he clearly okay. I, we're just, I'm gonna let's just jump forward to that really quick because good point, Eric. Yeah, later in the movie they bang. Don't want to spoil it, but they bang. And spoiler uh, alert. And yeah, Roy's like, I shanked it. I need a mulligan. So like, we clearly know he busted early, right? Like that's what happened. She's like, what's a mulligan? And he's like, get over here and I'll show you. Yeah. And then the music kicks in. Yeah. Like, so Roy, Roy was Roy. My man was pent up. He was just waiting for Dr. Molly to uh, let him uh, seed the greens, if you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> a little do a water the course. Yeah, yeah. You know, fire <laughs> off her sprinkler. Um, uh, I, yeah. I want to briefly go go back to go back. Oh, to we are going back. No, we're we're hopping back. Yeah, now. I, I know, but even even hopping back farther to what we were yeah. talking about with, with the 
the therapist scene mm-hmm. when like kind of well, well at the start of it and at the end when there's like um, a lady crying in the exit room and Roy just just is just a complete asshole to her, just yelling at her, yelling at yes. this lady, yes, like crying after a therapy session, just like. And that broad's out there crying still, right in the exit room. You're still in the exit room. <laughs> just yelling at her, like this would I just do not think this would fly. Even in, I mean, I understand it's a movie, it's fake, but like. I don't even think you could have that in a movie. I actually, Roy might be autistic, actually. (laughs) I kind of think, actually, now that I think, or he has, like, Asperger's, because, like, yeah, he's just like, why are you crying? He's, like, yelling at this woman for crying. And then, you know, if you go back to, like, getting a 13 when he needed a 12, like, you really do need to have, like, an issue. You need to, like, have some sort of, like, condition to do that, to, like, jeopardize your whole future, to, like, clear a water hazard. You know what I mean? And like, yeah, yeah. He's like an autistic driving range pro. I I don't want to say autistic, but he has like Asperger's. You know what I mean? I also thought that there was, uh, you know, maybe think of like the Corona pandemic. Like when he gets into the exit room, he just starts touching everything, yeah, including like the Kleenexes. He like touches the Kleenex. Yeah, he touches that's like the Kleenex. Out of the box. I did notice like, that. What do you do? I really, I have a heightened uh, sense of like, yeah, germs now. I'm like, oh, that's not cool, sir. That as soon as he gets in the office, he like yells at Molly, like, I didn't do shit to her. Sue Ann! Sue Ann, honey. I didn't, I didn't say shit to her. What? No. I'm like, oh my God. Dude, yeah. Relax. And you can see how it spread because like uh, David Sims went to Doral with uh, Molly. So you get the COVID there and bring it back to Wex, Texas. And now Roy's out there there's, fingering the Kleenex. There's no COVID at Doral. Yes. It's very beautiful, right. very, very, very fantastic place. So, all very right. Very strong. We, we, so he's going to qualify. The only way that Molly will like him, he de- he decides, right, is he's going to qualify Somehow. for the U.S. Open, which, whatever. Whatever, dude. So he, uh, so, so he's out in the qualifier, right? And uh, they're, yeah, making, it's open. they're making the turn. It's the most democratic thing. Dude, oh, by the way, he calls the U.S. Open the biggest tournament in the world. Uh, Producer Eric, would you agree with that? <laughs> no, probably not. But it's one of the. Three. Oh yes, it's one of the major. Yeah, I would say one but of the three. In it's, 1996, was it the biggest golf tournament in the world? Well, no. Uh, I mean. It's from a guy in, in West Texas, yeah, maybe because maybe he doesn't give a shit about the Masters, and then he doesn't give a shit about the British Open because he's American. Yeah. And obviously, the PGA Championship is a joke. So, well, but yeah, I, 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 I guess for him, it's the biggest one, so that checks out. But producer Eric, uh, you're the most um, golfly, I would say, and uh, so w- what would you say is the biggest tournament in the world? If you if you well, had to pick the one. I think I mean it's the British Open just because it's it's the world it's, it's most if you grew up in America maybe it's the Masters but for mm-hmm. most of the world it's the biggest one because it's like it's the oldest it's the tournament by, it's yeah by it's thirty five years older than any other mm-hmm. tournament still going yeah so they play it in Scotland which is where, where golf comes from play it at the home of golf you know yeah so yeah. I, I I think I agree. I was I maybe thought you would say the Masters because I would say, from my limited knowledge of golf courses, obviously St Andrews, and you're someone who's played St Andrews, but um, St Andrews is obviously uh you know the the golf course, the first golf course. But as far as like um overall golf course, uh you know Augusta is like pretty much perfection. I don't know. So there's, yeah, it's it's up there. Like in all the rankings, it's still like not number one. It's like. Five. Are you talking about St. Andrews or Augusta? 
Augusta. Yeah. It's like five. St. Andrews is old. The old course is up there. It's probably right there with Augusta ahead of it. So there's still a few courses that I usually rank ahead of them. But yeah, there's. They both have. Do, they do both, you think oh, he yeah. meant like? Oh, sorry to cut you guys off, but do you think he meant like? And this is a question for both you guys, or, or maybe Eric. But if you were talking about specifically like an open, right? Like, would it be true that it's the biggest open? No, the British in the open. World? The British Open is the British open. open is open like the U.S. Open is. Yeah. So well, you could qualify for it, and I, I don't. You know, that's a good question. Actually, I'm just saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right as far as being like like he says, Roy says in the movie, like anyone with a two handicap or less can qualify. I think it's a 1.4 or less. Because I think we're oh, obviously wow. splitting hairs, yeah. but I mean well, yeah, that's I, I, I important for the conversation. But I think. Maybe yeah, that's kind of what he meant was it's the yeah. biggest open in the world. It's the biggest tournament that like any guy from Salami, yeah. Texas could just go to. I think that, yeah. well, I think the British Open's open. Yeah, I don't think it's like that. No. Okay. All right. I think it's just pros or people who qualify. Not, I mean, people who qualify meaning winning other tournaments, amateur tournaments, whatever, but not necessarily just anyone can. Okay. I don't think they're open qualifiers for the British. All right. Well, I got sidetracked there, but, um, I I made a note of that because I was interesting. I I was curious as a, to your opinions on that. So um, all right. So he listens to Cheech and he wants to win the uh, or he's going to win the open. Uh, or he was going to qualify for the open. So they go out. He's he's killing it. Front nine, first qualifier, it's tearing it up. On uh, number ten, making the turn, he wants to uh, hit the driver. He wants to clear a bunch of trees and get on the green in two. And Romeo Cheech Marin is like. No, homie, hit your two iron. That's stupid. You're cruising. Uh, Tin Cup doesn't like this. Oh, so he demands the driver. So uh, Romeo breaks the driver over his knee. And uh, and then he asks for the three wood. And I think uh, Romeo then breaks the three wood over his knee. And then uh, Tin Cup then takes the two iron. He breaks all the clubs. He breaks all the clubs in his bag except his. Including the putter. Including the putter except his beloved seven iron. But then there's a seven iron. I never miss with the seven iron. It's the only truly safe club in my bag. So before we even get into the logistics of, and Romeo quits and he plays the rest of the round with his seven iron. Before we get into the logistics of playing nine holes with only a seven iron, uh, Romeo is kind of a, a little uh, wimp in this scene. I understand yeah. as a caddy, you want to, you know, you're trying to do the best for your guy, but it's like he's cruising and it's just a tee shot. Yes, there's out of bounds to the left. Who gives a fuck? Like it's one shot and it's not it's not like what we'll see later in the movie and what cost Tin Cup Q school, apparently. Like it's just it's just a tee shot. He could easily make this shot and he's playing good. Yeah, I, agree. Yeah, I think he's oh, I have the same thought, like it's just it's a tenth hole. It's a tee shot. It's not there's no like it's. Just let him hit it, like yeah. Just like, your, your caddy's your caddy's there to advise you, but ultimately the golfer makes a decision. He wants driver. Yeah, hit the driver. You don't need to quit because of it. Like, yeah, this is like quitting grounds. That's other things we see later in the movie. Maybe so when he's taking seven shots from the same spot. Yeah, yeah, he, yes. But for me, it's like Cheech is trying to establish the fact that Cup's going to listen to him. You know, and like yeah. You know, throughout the entire film, 
they have this re- they have a great i mean they have a fantastic relationship their chemistry is great i think that's what makes this movie yes. so good is the chemistry between kevin costner Agreed. and cheech marin Agreed. but the 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 chemistry between romeo and roy is that of like almost like a mentor like romeo is there to advise uh roy i mean obviously roy is a better golfer but you know, later in the movie, like he turns to Romeo when anytime he has issues with his swing, he mm-hmm. turns to Romeo for help. Yeah. And I think that's, if not explicitly stated, it's supposed to be implied that, look, if I'm going to do this for you, and that's what we find out later when yeah. he, well, spoiler alert, when he brings him back, but like, it's supposed to be like, I'm going to, you have to listen to me. And so I think this scene was, you know, it was, it was him saying like, look, man, like if this is going to work, like you're going to have to listen to me. And this is just, a moment excuse me where you know he doesn't and that's what eventually causes him to quit because he quits it's a preemptive quit because he yeah. knows that like he's only going to play like a dingleberry like in the future so. yeah that's a good point and also i actually skipped over a note that i had earlier one thing about i think romeo is a little furious at tin cup because tin cup's not listening to him granted he should probably let this one go but romeo has been established literally caddies every round of golf that tin cup plays like, like he caddied the round against Boone. Like he's literally there every single. It, I we never really see until after he quits. Romeo not caddying for Tin Cup. So it's like, yo, dude, I literally carry your bag every round that you play. Like, why don't you just listen to me on this one? This one shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, yeah it's, I also feel like it's a situation where, like, you know, Cup is a uh, Cup is is the kid that's like. I ran into traffic that one time and I didn't get a hit by a car. Yeah. So like, I'm just going to do it multiple times. I think it's just <laughs> like him trying to set the precedent of like, look, bro, you can't just cause it worked once. Like doesn't mean it's going to work every time. And so like preventing him from getting that, that into his head that like you can just cause you can push the envelope a few times. Like, uh, you know, and he says it even in the, in the, he says it even in the, uh, in the scene, he says, this isn't about this shot. It's about the open. He's like, you need to learn restraint. And that's like what he's trying to teach him at that moment. He's like, you could probably lace it with that driver, but like when you're at the open a par, and it's, it's said multiple times throughout the film, par is good enough to win yeah. multiple people. Even Jim Nance says it at one point, par is good enough to win. And he's trying to teach him that it's a, it's an instructive moment. And, and uh, you know, it's like uh 10 couple say later, it's a, uh, you know, there's defining moments and you can either define the moment or the moment can define you. And I think that's kind of like the motto that he lives his life. I got to say, Jack, Jack, that's just beautiful movie analysis right there. I have to say oh, that's you. that's top notch. So that's, uh, you know, you're just <laughs> a cut above. You're like, well, you got to remember he's establishing this for later. This is about the I'm just like, I'm just like, yeah, just let him hit the driver. <laughs> Quit being a bitch, Cheech. And let him hit the driver. Uh Oh, good point. I got a little tear in my eye just, uh, you know, thinking about all that. All right. So, all right. So, okay, here's – and now let's – this is – you know, ultimately we're an hour into this movie and it's the golf scenes, that, which is why we wanted to do this. So he goes – hits the back nine with just his seven iron and he pars it. Is this something realistic? We is established later that he can hit his seven iron about 220. Is that realistic? I'm going to go to producer Eric on this one. Is that realistic on a U.S. Open qualifying course? Let's 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 take like a, a really good pro. 
could shoot yeah. par with a seven iron. Or or even you, Eric. Like if we went out to Burnham Woods, which is a course that would probably be very easy for you to play. Like if you played the back nine or the front nine at Burnham Woods with well, just your seven, like how Eric, do you think producer you'd Eric can't par the course with all of his clubs? So no, I can't. <laughs> I would. I, I can. It's a relatively short course. I could probably do not terrible. Like I bet you, it's somewhat realistic for someone like a pro to yeah. do that. A par with a seminar. Yeah. yeah, especially if you can hit it about two ten or something, you know. Yeah, it's like well, it, it and you can hit it a lot straighter usually, and so you can just kind of plod your way down, and you can get on most par fours. Uh, in two or three, maybe maybe get you just knock it close and mm-hmm. put her in for par, but like par fives would be fine. It is a fun scene, though. I mean, it is kind of fun. I, like, you know, he 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 pars it, and it kind of you know adds to this like mythos of uh, this nice montage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He does he does have a fried egg lie at one point that he gets out of the bunker with a seven iron, which is absolutely ridiculous. But um, that's about my only note as far as the feasibility of what he did on the back nine. So he pars the back nine with a seven iron, kind of like wow, this tin cup. He's a he's a real wild card. So. He's, you know, uh, drinking beers. Uh, this is just like the first first, first qualifier of a, of a few, or at least two. So he's just drinking beers with his boys. Uh, oh, yeah, Molly's there the whole time. Molly's just like tailing him this whole round. She's like, you know, uh, this guy's a moron. He, he obviously is doing a terrible job at controlling his emotions. But uh, Sim shows up. And uh, so Sim shows up, and uh, Roy uh, makes a bet with him. Seven iron, right? What was the? It was like who can hit the seven iron the furthest. Yeah. Well, first uh, I just think it's it's hilarious that Sims is just like hanging out at some, yeah. some random qualifier, like not even like the sectional. It's like the qualifier to get in the sectional, <laughs> then sectional you have to get into the U.S. Open, like the the you know preliminary qualifier. Sims just is pro, one of the top pro golfers on tour, just hanging out. Yeah, the, uh, maybe he's dropping off. Maybe he dropped off Molly and he's picking her up or something. Yeah, I guess she. That's actually a really good point. Maybe he was picking her up because uh, well, later uh, when they drive off, they both of them drive only two cars away. Oh, you know? yeah, it's a good point. So anyway, Sim shows up. He's probably picking her up. All right, we've closed this loophole in the plot. So they, <laughs> so they make a bet. So it's just one club, seven iron. Classic, really a, one of the more, I would have to say, one of the more iconic scenes in the movie. It's definitely one that I'm usually watching at this point on cable, and it always sticks out in my mind. So Tin Cup gets his comeuppance for being a hot shot, he, uh, and we see where how Sims has a little guile. Uh, to him, a little gamesmanship. Makes, yeah, a little gamesmanship. This is what makes him separates him from you know the man from the boys. It makes him a pro and Tim Cup a driving uh, range layabout. Uh, so uh, Tim <laughs> Cup uh, hits his about two twenty seven. It catches it off the uh, toe or with a hosel or something. I don't know. And uh, you know rolls out to about he he has the exact yardage two twenty seven at w- what he hit it. He knows the seven iron so well. So uh, so Sims is uh, gonna hit the seven iron. He's got to hit it past Tim Cup. Uh, wisely turns about 90 degrees to his right and uh, just hits it down a straight road that uh, comes up to the golf course. So the ball yeah. probably goes about a thousand yards. Mm. Shit, he hit it down a fucking road, didn't he? Still going. 
Yeah, I like how they do it. All of a sudden, they're just like a what kind of is it a road? That's it's just, just a going. straight road that goes straight <laughs> into the driveway, yeah, right, right up the back of the driveway. It's like here's the road. <laughs> this is right that, like weird Alamo thing that's kind of yeah, you know, frame in the road. Yeah, it's like well, Ron Shelton takes a lot of his cues from uh, spaghetti western legend Sergio Leone. I think uh, you know if it's not on camera, it's not there. So as soon as you show it, it becomes reality. I don't want to get a little too cinematic. I'll leave that up to that. Leave that up to Jack Smythe, the uh, cinematic analysis. <laughs> but uh, no. Uh, so yeah, he belts one down the road. Uh, I a question for you guys: Could you, if le- if you were hitting a ball, if you had a seven iron, could you hit a ball all the way down the length of that road? No chance. Yeah. Right. You know, no how way. Narrow, how narrow that road was? Like it's like twenty feet. Wide. You'd have to hit it you perfectly hit it. straight. Yeah, like yeah, he hit it so perfectly. Like, exactly. No slice of fade on it. Like he didn't even like didn't look like he punched it. It looked like he took like a normal seven iron. I don't know. I have to rewatch it. Yeah, that's what it looked like to me. Like he he just like wound up and hit like a hit like a straight shot, and like it basically like hit the center line and just kept bouncing like straight. Like I mean, I don't know. I think if if I was doing that shot, I think it'd be it'd be close to see if I, cause I certainly can't hit my seven iron two twenty. Yeah. So if, if I was, if I was hitting it straight down the road, like to me, that'd still be a gamble. It'd be my best opportunity, but Sims is just like, don't worry about this, Molly. I'm going to yeah. teach Tim Cup a little lesson. You yeah, know, they give did. him a, he kind of did. We overlooked the, uh, the classic, uh, eighties and nineties, the classic, uh, trope, you know, Back to the Future trope. Are you yellow? And now they're all doing their chicken sounds. Yeah. And uh, I thought some of those guys did some really good chicken sounds. Oh yeah, I I miss that. You know, <laughs> the clucking, you know, bark, 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 bark. Oh, you yeah. know, are you chicken? And yeah, then, that was pretty funny. So David Sims wins the his car, I guess, and drives away in his car, just down yeah. that long straight road. So, uh, I guess Tim Cup is uh, gets a ride from uh, Earl or. Uh, Scruggs or whoever the hell is uh, in his crew. This concludes our broadcast day.